0: Good morning, everybody. I want to start on um, quite a serious note. Um, I want to address what is clearly an elephant in the room this morning, and that is the colour of my shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case, I don't want anybody sitting here all morning thinking, "Oh, is it is it pink? Is it orange? It's salmon." we're drawing a line under that now so that nobody has to worry. I've not worn this shirt ever once to church without getting abuse from somebody at some point, so we're just going to get that over with. So, thank you. £10 afterwards there, Eddie, thank you. So we're on um, 1 Corinthians 13 today. Now, anybody who has preached before or who knows people who preach, or friends with people who preach, know that sometimes you get some proper stinkers (laughs) preaching, like really not nice ones, ones that you um, are not blessed by having. And in the past at Gateway, I have had some fairly difficult ones. Thinking about it now, actually, I think they were when I first started preaching. So maybe I was being tested or something, giving the really difficult topics when I first started. But um, when I saw the programme for... One Corinthians. I can't help, but I couldn't help but feel a little bit glad, possibly a little bit smug. Maybe that was a bit sinful, you know. But actually, I thought One Corinthians thirteen. That's not bad. That's that's a nice one to get. Really, it could have been worse. There's been some pretty difficult ones in this series, and I think Bob (laughs) and Graham have kind of carried a a fair bit of that. But I was quite pleased. But then again, on the other side of things, when you're preaching on a really, really well-known topic. It kind of has its own problems because people know this passage so, so much. It's so well known, isn't it? It's used in, you know, I don't know how many percentages of weddings this must be read. But it's, it's well known, isn't it? So that presents its kind of its own problems because people will be very familiar with this. So hopefully we'll bring something out, we'll bring something out this morning which is a bit different. But at the end of the day, scripture is what it is, isn't it? So I'm going to kind of go through what it is. Um, people who've heard me preach before know that I like to um, look up my topics usually on Google. Obviously, other search engines are available, but um, I like to know what the kind of all-knowing search engine, the all-knowing internet has to say about the topics that I'm going to preach on. So um, I I Googled um, quotes about love for this, and um, I immediately wished that I hadn't, (laughs) because... I mean, I, I kind of, I think I'm, I'm on okay ground to say that I'm fairly romantic. I think Tracy, my wife, would kind of, would, I'd be okay on that to say that. But, honestly, after scrolling through a few pages on Google of quotes about love, it was, it got a little bit painful, to be honest. And lots of very corny, soppy quotes. And I'd kind of, I'd had enough a little bit for the end <laughs> So I thought, well, I'll, do, I'll do take a different tact. I'll ask, you know, maybe I'll ask my, my kids. I've got three kids. I'll ask them what they think about love. So Joshua was around while I was preparing this a couple of weeks ago. He's seven. And I thought, I'd sort of, I said to him, you know, Joshua, what do you think love is? What does it mean? And he said, well, love is showing kindness to people and showing that you care for people. And I was like, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I am a good parent, after all. We're doing a good job. I'm happy with that. But then... I pushed it. Then I said, well, how do you know that Mummy and Daddy love you? And his first very quick response was, because we give him food. (laughs) So it's like, right, okay. Get the most important thing in there, son, first. Food, love equals food. Food equals love. I'm happy. So um, I think he did kind of go on a little bit to say, oh, yeah, because you love us. You're kind to us and things. But food was the first thing. So... um, (laughs) Everyone has different opinions on love, don't they? Love is just... It's everywhere, isn't it? In popular culture, um, love is the most popular topic for songwriters. I, I looked it up quickly, and apparently, at least... I'd say this is probably higher than this, but at least 60% of popular songs are written about love or relationships in some way. You know, I was thinking the Beatles sang that very popular song, didn't they? All You Need Is Love... Um, Tracy and me had a, a madness song, It Must Be Love, at our wedding as we were walking back down the aisle. Loads of films have been made about love. Books have been written about love. You know, there's a, a, there's a lot of love out there, isn't there? There's a lot of love out there. And there's a lot of comments and advice that you can get on what love should or shouldn't be. But what we're going to look today at is what scripture says that love is about. So shall we read 1 Corinthians 13? I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This seems to be a bit of a trend at the moment to read from the message. I've stood firm, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. so <laughs> I've got nothing against the message. I don't want to you know, just get that one uh, straight. But anyway, so 1 Corinthians 13, the way of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So, I thought it's really important for our understanding of this passage um, to get a brief kind of idea of the context in which it was written. Around the time that um, Paul wrote this, love was basically described mainly in three ways in Greek. None of these will be pronounced properly by me, by the way. But the first one was storge, I don't know if that's right, which that's basically the love that exists between family members. The second one is philia, so it's a kind of platonic love that exists between friends. And the third one was eros which is probably the one that most people have heard of, and that's kind of the romantic love between partners. Now, these types of love are about giving in the best possible way you can towards people. So the focus is on the quality of the receiver of the love. So you may love your parents because you respect them, you're thankful to them for the way that they have brought you up, for the way that they love you, for the things they've done for you. You may have love your best friend, you know, because they make you laugh. They're kind and generous to you. They're good company to be around. You may love your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend because they are beautiful, you know, because they are kind. They are warm. They're funny. You know, all the things my wife is and many, many more. So, anyway, you get... Anyway, you probably get the picture The trouble was, for the writers of the New Testament, all of these words kind of focused on the qualities of the one receiving the love, the person who was being loved. There wasn't really um, a word that got to the essence of what they wanted to describe in this particular, and this passage and others. So they kind of really made up a word. And that word was agape, which a lot of people may well have heard of here. Um, It's a word for love which has a different meaning altogether. And it's kind of got this meaning, this sense of being translated as charitable and selfless and that kind of unconditional love. And it's used by Christians you know, to refer to the love that Jesus showed on the cross. And it's a type of love that is not based on the worthiness of the person who receives the love. So it's a fundamental difference. It's love that can be for somebody who's utterly unworthy. So it's very, very different to the other three um, descriptions, the other words for love. You know, it's a love that is given without any thought or concern for whether the person being loved deserves it or not. Yeah, um, Leo Morris says it like this. He says, um, agape love is a love that proceeds from the nature of the lover, not the attractiveness in the beloved. So it's a love that proceeds from the nature of the lover, not the attractiveness of the one being loved, the beloved. Another quote, another description I got was that agape love is unconditional love that is always giving and is impossible to take or be a taker. It devotes total commitment to seek your highest best, no matter how anyone may respond. This form of love is totally selfless and doesn't change whether the love given is returned or not. So this is kind of the type of love that Paul's talking about here in this chapter, which is really sort of essential for us to remember from the very beginning. Um, what's also really important, I think, just to, to in terms of setting a context, is where this chapter is in relation to the rest of one Corinthians and how kind of one Corinthians has been panning out so far that we've kind of seen. And we've kind of seen quite a lot of challenges from Paul, really, haven't we? In terms of sort of some really you know crazy practices, a lot of immoral kind of sexual behaviour sort of the stuff of of dispute resolution going on through courts, um, this lack of unity, kind of a lingering paganism in some of the practices in the church, Um, the fact that Paul needs to kind of encourage people to respect and kind of fairly reward apostleship and that kind of thing. Uh, And we also heard last week about the need to uh, respect each other, how we need to embrace diversity within the context of unity in the church and not place kind of more emphasis on one spiritual gift than another. So in sort of amongst this, after all this we have kind of one of the shortest chapters really in the book but it's a passage which isn't kind of a reproach, it's not a criticism, it's actually I think a real heartfelt encouragement to the church and it's that encouragement to put love first above all else. You know, without love, and more specifically without the kind of agape love we're going to talk about, our actions really kind of amount to very little. So I'm just going to have a quick kind of scoot through the first few familiar chapters um, of this passage and then kind of talk a little bit about um, agape love. So, you know, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, the best speech, whether it's the kindest words... Whether that's in our own language, whether that's speaking in tongues, you know, if we do that without love, it's just meaningless, isn't it? Paul talks about prophetic gifting. You know, we know that Paul really values prophetic giftings. You know, um, we see in the passages surrounding 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul values and places a high value on prophetic gifting. But what he's saying is that here is that prophetic gifting, wisdom, knowledge, faith, they're all meaningless without love. Whatever gifts we have, whatever gifts God might have graciously given us, if we use them outside of the context of a kind of selfless love, then we are nothing. You now, it's often important to do this, but actually sometimes we should you know, take a moment and consider the strength of these words. Again, these are words that we've read and heard a lot. But actually, any gift or any ministry we have must always be outward focused, mustn't it? We must always be motivated by the love that Jesus has shown to us. Now, loving others with the love of Christ is more fundamental to doing church than exercising spiritual gifts is. Now, gifts are obviously absolutely important, but Jesus didn't do miracles to show he was God. He did miracles because he was God. And there's a really important difference there. First and foremost, Jesus ministered out of a heart of love for others. We minister in gifts from a heart of God's love for others, not for any other gain. And I thought it was really good what Jenny said. You know, God healed Jenny because he loves her. You know, first and foremost, I believe that. God heals because he loves you. You know, yes, there is other, other sort of implications of that. God's showing that he's powerful, demonstrating God's... You know, God exists to people who don't know God. But primarily, God healed Jenny because he loves us so, so much, the same way that he loves all of us. Phil Moore says about this passage, and he says, God is more worried about how we do church than what we do in church. I think that's really good as well, isn't it? God is more worried about how we do church than what we do in church. And, you know, I'm not kind of bigging us up massively as a church, you know, but um, no church is perfect. But I feel really privileged to be part of this church at Gateway because we do accept people for who they are, not for what they do. You know, we put Jesus first and centre in this church and part of our DNA is about how we do church. It's not just about the stuff that goes on and the things we do. But nevertheless, we all need reminding sometimes, don't we, from time to time. And I think that, what, that is what kind of Paul is doing here. We always need to be kind of checking our motives behind our actions. Verse 3 kind of hammers this message home, I think, even more, doesn't it? You know, love is greater than physical sacrifice. And it's greater than giving really, really generously. Now, I think it's amazing, really, to think that Paul is suggesting that we could ultimately give everything we have to the poor. If you actually think about that, giving everything you have away, you could sacrifice everything physically, give your life, But you'd gain nothing if that wasn't done in the right motives. It's quite powerful, actually, really, isn't it? You know, we can be motivated for various reasons. We can be passionate about a particular cause. We can give time, money, energy for all sorts of different reasons. But actually, if it's not through that love for Jesus, then actually it's not really worth anything. And that's what Paul's saying. It's quite, quite powerful, really, isn't it? Verse 4 and 5, you know, we, love is patient and kind. And I just as an aside here, I thought it was quite interesting. Apparently the Greek word here for patience refers to patience with people rather than circumstances, which I thought was quite interesting. It's often the most difficult thing to have is patience with other people, isn't it? Rather than necessarily patience within our circumstances. So I think that's quite an interesting thing. You know, love isn't rude. It's not indecent or dishonourable or arrogant or resentful. You know, what, what Paul is saying here is he's not suggesting that we have to kind of be superheroes here and I think that's really important you know we all will get frustrated sometimes and we'll all get annoyed and and find things difficult but actually what it's about is our ultimate motivation for the things that we do and that should be from the love that God has shown to us actually because otherwise whatever we do is pretty meaningless and will be sort of fruitless so we've talked about this love God's shown to us, but I just want to sort of remind us about what this love is. What is this love that Jesus has shown? So the Bible demonstrates in kind of a lot of places the love of God, obviously, but I really love how we see it demonstrated in the parables in Luke 15. So I'm just going to go through a couple of those parables in Luke 15. First of all, I'm just going to... the lost sheep. So... I actually am going to read this from the message, having just done ESV. I'm going to mix it up a bit and read this from uh, Luke 15 from the message. So, Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them. Treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. So Jesus said, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you'd put it across your shoulders, rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbours saying, celebrate with me. I've lost, found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in need of no rescue. So, I'm reckoning well, there might not be 200 people here, but let's just say there's 200 people here this morning. Okay. So, say we split we split the church roughly, kind of half down there, half here. What we're basically saying, say there's one person in these two sections here that doesn't know Jesus. Let's just, there might be, there might be somebody here who's not Christian. To say there is. You might be sitting there, amongst all these people, thinking, there's no way Jesus is more interested in me than all these people sitting around me. They've all probably been coming to church for ages. You know, they sing the songs properly, they know the songs. I bet they're really good. You know, they try their best to be good. They probably help people. You know, they've got it all kind of together, which we clearly haven't. But... There's no way that Jesus is going to be more concerned about me when I'm not even a Christian here this morning than he is all the rest of the people in these two blocks. But actually, that is exactly what this story is saying. Jesus is more concerned about you than he is everybody else here this morning if you don't know him. And that is exactly the type of love that we're talking about. You know, if you don't know Jesus this morning know that he would leave all of the rest of the people sitting here that do know him and come after you. That is how much he loves you. Right now, at this moment, Jesus is more interested in you than anybody else if you don't know him here this morning. He wants to bring you back to the family of sheep, like in that story. You know, you might feel like Christians are special in some kind of way or that we have it all together, but we don't. You know, we're just lost sheep that Jesus has rescued, one by one, yeah? Whatever we've had going on in our lives. We are all here just rescued lost sheep. And the beauty of God's agape love is that it doesn't matter that we didn't deserve to be rescued in the slightest. So, I was just preparing this. And I think some of us sort of, Really felt that some of us might feel a bit broken, kind of here this morning. So, kind of perhaps that one sheep in the story wandered off in the parable and kind of broke a bone, and it might be just helplessly waiting for the shepherd to come and find it. And perhaps we feel a bit like that this morning. Perhaps you feel really broken, battered by life, battered by your circumstances, even feel broken almost beyond repair. And do you know that whether you're a Christian or not, Jesus is here to pick you up this morning, put you on his back and carry you. You know, like a shepherd that would tend to the cuts and scrapes and broken bones of his sheep, Jesus can and will do that this morning. You know, I passionately believe, it's wonderful hearing Jenny's testimony, but passionately believe in a God who heals the sick and heals the broken and I believe it's God's desire to heal and mend people this morning because God is love. He can't be anything else. He's the good shepherd who cares for his sheep and he loves us and wants the best for us always. It may be, in this parable, that the one sheep got its fleece caught on a bramble, maybe. Yeah, and it's, um, it's there struggling to get free. It's caught, it's fleece caught, and it can't get free on its own. And perhaps... There's people who feel like that this morning. Perhaps there are things going on in your life which are really difficult to get rid of and to get out of, tangles that you can't get away from. The more you struggle, the more you try and get out of it, the more caught up you feel like you're getting. Well, Jesus, the good shepherd, can come and just gently free you from what you're caught up in this morning. Like a shepherd that would gently untangle the wool from the thorn bush, Jesus can help set you free as well today maybe that sheep that wandered off fell down into a hole into a ravine and got stuck and couldn't get out and maybe there's people here this morning that feel like they're trapped in a hole trapped in depression or despair or hopelessness do you know that Jesus comes down into that hole to get you Jesus doesn't send down a rope or go and get a rescue party and somebody else to do it. Jesus personally comes down to where you are, like the shepherd would climb into that ravine to rescue the sheep, to get you, because that's how much he loves you. Now, whatever you might be feeling this morning, Jesus understands. He understands because he's experienced it. He's experienced the temptations, the losses, the pain, the grief, the despair. He understands because he came and lived as a man on this earth. And he wants you to know that he understands what you're going through this morning. So Jesus comes looking for you and is utterly focused on helping you this morning, whatever situation you're in. That is agape love. So, there's a story, the next one of the other parables in Luke uh, 15 is the prodigal son. I'm going to be a bit crazy, I'm going to read from the Jesus Storybook Bible this morning. So, I don't know if anybody has read this or knows of this. Amazing, amazing book. This is aimed at, I guess, primary school children. may say something about me that I really like it. But it's, it's really powerful. It's real, there's, the amount of times I've read this and have been in tears because it's just a, a wonderful way of expressing scripture. But I'm going to read the story of the lost son from here instead of from another translation. I'm going through the translations this morning. So um, Luke 15, Running Away, it's called here, the story of the lost son. Jesus told this story about a boy who ran away. Once upon a time, there was a boy and his dad. Now, one day, the boy gets to thinking... Maybe if I didn't have my dad around telling me what's good for me all the time, I'd be happier. He's spoiling my fun, he thinks. Does my dad really want me to be happy? Does my dad really love me? The son never thought of that before, but suddenly he doesn't know. So the son goes to his father and says, Dad, I'm better off without you. I can look after myself, just give me my share of the money. His father is sad, but he won't force his boy to stay, so he gives his son what he wants. The son takes the money and goes on a long, long journey to a far-off country. And everything's wonderful and perfect for a while. He can go wherever he wants, do whatever he wants, be whoever he wants. He is the boss. He's free. Sometimes he gets a strange, hungry, homesick feeling in his heart, but then he just eats more, he drinks more, buys more clothes, or goes to more parties until it all goes away. But soon his money runs out, and so do his friends. He ends up getting the only job he can, feeding pigs. One day, he's so hungry and so desperate, he even tries some piggy food. What am I doing? He says suddenly, as if he's woken up from a nightmare. He spits, yuck, all of it, out of his mouth. My father is rich, and here I am, in a pigsty, eating piggy food. He wipes his mouth and dusts himself off. I'm going home. As he starts for home, though, he begins to worry. Dad won't love me anymore. I've been too bad. He won't want me for his son anymore. So he practices his I'm sorry speech. All this time, what he doesn't know is that day after day, his dad has been standing on his porch, straining his eyes, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. He just can't stop loving him. He longs for the sound of his boy's voice. (laughs) He can't be happy until he gets him back. The son is still a long way off, but his dad sees him coming. What will the dad do? Fold his arms and frown? Shout, that'll teach you. Just you wait, young man. No, that's not how this story goes. The dad leaps off the porch, races down the hill, through the gap in the hedge, up the road. Before his son can even begin his I'm sorry speech, his dad runs to him, throwing his arms around him and can't stop kissing him. Let's have a party, his dad shouts. My boy's home. He ran away. I lost him. But now I have him back. Jesus told them, God is like the dad who couldn't stop loving his boy. And people are like the son who said, does my dad really want me to be happy? Jesus told people this story to show them what God is like and to show people what they are like. So they could know however far they ran, however well they hid, However lost they were, it wouldn't matter because God's children can never run too far or be too lost for God to find them. I mean, that story, again, just sums up agape love so beautifully too, doesn't it? It's a story about unworthiness, you know, about shameful, arrogant, selfish behaviour. It's a story about a past being forgiven, and forgotten and it's a story about how a father's love is more powerful than any past behavior it's a love that isn't based upon what the son has done but on the fact that he is loved and is part of the family it's a story of hope and of resurrection of relationships what the story in the story of course Jesus is ultimately pointing to what was to come on the cross you know we go our own way don't we Like the sheep that's lost, like the son that throws away all the good in his life. We all make bad decisions. We all put ourselves first to some degree or another, don't we? But the gospel, the good news, is one of hope. It's one of death being overcome by life. It's good news about the most sacrificial, selfless act of love that the world has ever seen. Jesus, the son of God, coming to earth as a man, but still fully God to suffer and die for us taking the pain of our sin and our selfishness, our arrogance, our brokenness, our mistakes. Taking the consequence of all that on himself and dying so that we don't have to in order to restore our relationship with our Father in heaven. The gospel is the greatest rescue plan ever thought up. And Jesus is the greatest hero the world has ever seen. Now for our part, we have to repent We have to acknowledge that we've done wrong. We can't sort of acknowledge that we can't put things right ourselves, and commit to turning our lives to Jesus. Like the sheep, we actually have to call out to the shepherd. We have to understand that we're in need of rescuing. Like the prodigal son, however much it might sting our pride, we have to come back to our father in heaven and say, sorry, I know I've messed up, please forgive me. We have to commit our lives to Jesus and commit to doing things another way. Committing our lives to Jesus is a one-time event. Once we've done it, we're God's child, part of his family, and nothing can change that. Amen? Amen. So what we're not talking about here in any of these parables is this kind of sickly sweet sentimental love that Google threw up when I searched. Uh, Pick my words carefully there. This, uh, This is different. What I did find, though, as I was reading through some of the quotes, was a really interesting quote, and it was by uh, the author Stephen Chomsky. Pronounced, and he simply says this, that we accept the love that we think we deserve. So we accept the love that we think we deserve. And as I read that, I really felt that God wanted to speak to people about this today. Because you know, perhaps you're sitting here and you actually are feeling that you don't really deserve to be loved. Perhaps you've done something that you see as just irreversible or unforgivable in your past. Perhaps you just feel like you're failing day to day. Perhaps something's happened in your past that makes you feel like it's just impossible for you to feel loved. Perhaps you just feel like you've got nothing to give, nothing unique about you that would make you lovable. But that's not the way that God sees us. Whatever we might think about ourselves right now, and whether we believe that we deserve to be loved or not, I believe that God wants us to know this morning that we are unique and individual and precious to him. We all deserve the absolute most love in the world. Whatever you've done in the past, whatever you do on a day-to-day basis, you deserve to be absolutely, totally, wonderfully, magnificently, wholeheartedly unconditionally loved you know I think to a greater or lesser extent I think most people agree that as human beings we kind of we'll all be made to find meaning in love or being loved by others and that's kind of a bit what that Beatles song says all you need is love but actually that doesn't tell the whole story does it for us as Christians we're defined by one particular love you know that absolute unchanging love of God in that Jesus storybook bible it repeatedly talks of God's love as a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that's what God's love is for us. And that love is forever. If we go back to the passage in Corinthians, verse 8 goes on to tell us love never ends. Being part of God's family means we'll get to spend an eternity with him. You know, verses, um, in verses 8 to 13... The context there is that there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back. You know, we're his children now, but a time's coming when we will see clearly, when we'll kind of come of age. Any gifts we have will be replaced by something greater, and our incomplete knowledge will be replaced by full knowledge and intimacy with God. The greatest thing that will endure forever is God's Agape love in our hearts, and that's what the essence of this chapter is about. God's love is never ending. You know, it's really important that we pursue spiritual gifts and the prophetic and um, miracles and healings. But if we do that at the expense of loving people, we're missing the point. Because everything God does for us is motivated by a selfless, unconditional love. That love that was shown by Jesus on the cross. So, I'd like to kind of have a bit of an application as I come towards the end but, of a preach. And I was just reminded of Mark 12. Twenty-eight to thirty-four, that Jesus' great commandment, you know, love the God with love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if we get this love that we've been shown, there's probably two fairly simple responses. Love God with all our heart, our soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbours, love other people as ourselves. You know, I think to put it fairly simply, our response to what Jesus has done should be to love him. You know, it's not necessarily particularly a particular application point for this preach. It could be for any preach, couldn't it, really? It's a fundamental part um, of life, is our relationship with God. But I think as a response to what we've talked about today, it's vital. God just wants a relationship with us. Whether we've been a Christian here for many, many years or whether you're not even a Christian at all here today, it's the same to God. He wants to be close to you, He wants you to know that he loves you and he wants you to love him back with everything you've got. It all kind of also makes sense that from this we ought to be motivated to demonstrate this love that's been shown to us, to other people. You know, I don't believe that this passage in 1 Corinthians is necessarily about making sure that we are kind of living at our most loving all the time, which is kind of impossible anyway. It's about loving others because we were first loved by God. You know, I think I was thinking back preparing this to several of the preachers we've heard in this series already, and I think Graham gave the quote about someone trying to hear our words, but our life is shouting at them. And I think Bob talked about something about our lives being an advertisement for the gospel. And I think what Paul's talking about here is actually our lives shouting to others, but shouting the love of Jesus. Not shouting something that blocks them knowing the love of Jesus. That makes sense. What we've, we've talked about why acting without love achieves nothing. So therefore, I guess the opposite could be said to be true. Acting in love has absolute meaning. And nowhere more than in Jesus' command to love our neighbours as ourselves. This is where our kind of actions, if they're born out of this agape love, can have absolute meaning and can have meaning that can transform the lives of others around us. You know, it might not be easy... You know, it might not be something you can think of, well, how do I just love people more selflessly? And at the very beginning of preparing this preach, I was reminded of a sign I saw recently that said, if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. So if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. And I actually was just thinking, if we want to love people more sacrificially, sometimes you just have to kind of get on and make some sacrifices. You know, that could mean all sorts of different things to different people. It's not a matter of being prescriptive. Um, But I think it's about doing something, perhaps, that is challenging. You know, and this isn't just about sacrificially loving people outside the church either. Given the context of the passage, it may be that we need to sacrifice a little bit to bring maybe a contribution on a Sunday morning, or a contribution in community group. Maybe it's a sacrifice to us to step out and test A gifting, like Simon talked about last week. It may be that sacrificially you're nervous sharing a story about yourself with another person could just have a major impact on them. There are loads of ways that we can demonstrate the love of Jesus, both inside and outside of the church. And you can guarantee that if it challenges you to do that, it will be changing you. And if what you're doing is motivated by the love of Jesus, then it's going to be changing you 100% for the better. So a final quote, just as I've finished, found off the internet about love. It said this, it said, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy, but I am telling you it's going to be worth it. And I think that's a fairly good place to finish. You know, this attitude shift, it may be difficult, it may be more difficult for some people than, than for others. But Paul is clearly telling us here in 1 Corinthians 13, there's no better way to love than this. And everything else really is just background noise. So... Pretty much going to finish there, but um, we've got sort of a, a little bit of time and I just really felt that some of the things I've talked about this morning, you know, God really put them on my heart, that, that actually God wants to deal with stuff this morning. So perhaps as if the worship team could come back, it's just a, a couple of the points that I just really feel that God wants to, to touch people with. Firstly, if you don't know Jesus this morning, he is desperate to get to know you like that lost sheep he will come and find you he's desperate to come after you like the father of the prodigal son he's waiting with open arms for you so if you don't know Jesus just what I'm going to say for for the few things I've got is just come up the front um, community group leaders anybody on like the pastoral team or anything like that just be ready and if people come up we'll be happy to pray with you secondly the pictures from the lost sheep so if you feel perhaps you're you're caught up or trapped in some kind of behavior or sin that you can't get out of um, you're perhaps you're struggling with depression or despair or you feel broken by life circumstances it'd be great to get prayer for you this morning as well and lastly you know if you've actually got really low self-esteem that you don't believe that you feel or deserve to be loved It'd be great just to pray for you, because that's not God's heart for you. You do deserve to be loved. And, you know, we have people come up the front. I was just thinking about this. It, you know, I know it's a bit nervous for sometimes for people to come up. If you don't want to do that, grab a, your community group leader. But coming up, just make sure that you get prayed for. <laughs> think about it. If nothing else, you know, we're going to make sure that you get some prayer. And that, I think that's God's heart. God's heart is that people would know that, that they're loved this morning. So... If you're not any of those people, just ask now the Holy Spirit to come and help you love more in a way that God loves us.